You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So good afternoon. We're going to finish today the eighth chapter of Turumot. And we're flip-flopping between questions of uncertainty and uh, questions of, well, life or death, but also questions of action and choices and actions. We began with the question of you know, whether the wife was still married or not, whether the slave was a slave or not. We went on to drinks which were uncovered and might pose a risk to health. And then we went on to questions about, remember, the two barrels of Turuma. One of them might be um, Tame, one might not be. What do we do? And then we came into questions of um, where the uncertainty wasn't so much about the status of the trimmer, but the uncertainty was what action do we take? What, what choices are we making? So you remember at the end of the the you remember at the end of the um, uh, let's say Mishnah ten at the at where we got up to in the tenth Mishnah of the 8th chapter where we just left off yesterday afternoon, we had a jar of oil that was spilt. And it's dripping down. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua agree that if you can save at least a revit in purity, in other words, if you can find vessels which are torim, pure vessels, to scoop it up, you can save the truma and give it to Kohen. But if you can't find pure vessels, what do you do with it? What do you do? You save it in impure vessels, and thus render it ineligible for the kohen to eat, or do you just let it flow down and be swallowed up by the ground? And the language of Rabbi Eliezer is is very poetic. Ve'al yuval ena biadav. You don't make it unclean with your own actions. In other words, Rabbi Eliezer is prepared to be passive and to let what happens happen, rather than taking action to save some of the wine. And it was exactly the same situation with the oil that was spilt at the top of the gat. Remember, a jar of oil was spilt at the top of the gat. It was going to drip down into the bottom of the gat, the bottom of the wine press, and make all of the, all of the wine in the bottom of the press, Maduma, essentially ineligible for ordinary people. And Rabbi, Eli- Rabbi Eliezer says, just let it flow. And we hadn't heard Rabbi Yoshua's response. Now in the 11th Mishnah, we're going to hear the response of Rabbi Yoshua. And he says, and the, the language, the language is, by the way, a little bit ambiguous, but the sense is incredibly clear. Concerning both cases, this seems to be both Mishnayot. Explained out love. This is not the kind of truma that I am warned about. In other words, I'm not responsible for stopping truma from going into an unclean vessel. The issue about truma is that you have to be able to, you, the, the Kohen has to be able to eat it. You have to guard it to make it able for the Kohen to eat it. So, in other words, if it's dripping into the ground, it's lost to the Kohen. There's no point in worrying about it. And if it's if it's available to the Kohen to eat it, then you have to protect it against being defiled. And he goes on to the essential question that Rabbi Eliezer addresses. Are we passive or are we active? 
And he gives the following example. Ketzad. So how does that work in practice? He was going from one place to the other and he had loaves of truma in his hands. He's carrying the truma around, probably to give it to Kohen. And some non-Jew walks up to him. Now, some non-Jew, by the way, whose hands are by definition ritually unclean. Because we, I mean, you know, we, we've already said that if you're um, if you're a careful person, you'll only buy food from a chaver, someone who's careful about ritual purity, not from amharetz. But an, uh, a nochri, someone who's not even Jewish, is 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 by definition someone who's come into contact with, um, uh, you know, dead objects or objects which are impure, and he hasn't been through a purification process. So his hands, by definition, are unclean. And the Gentile says to him. Give me one of those loaves and I will, I'll touch it and I'll make it tummy. And if you don't do that, if you don't do that, I'm going to make them all tummy. Okay, it's like pouring the wine into, pouring a little bit of the wine into an unclean vessel and saving a little bit of it rather than letting it drift into the ground. What is Rabbi Yoshua, what, what, what's Rabbi Eliezer going to, what's Rabbi Eliezer going to say? Well, Rabbi Eliezer, we know he's a purist. So Rabbi Eliezer, or Rabbi Eliezer Omer, he's going to say, Yutama et kula, let him defile all of them. You can't actively give him one of them. I mean, what he does, he does. You're not responsible for that, but you cannot be responsible for handing over one of them. That's Rabbi Eliezer. And Rabbi Yoshua, remember, we've seen this dispute between Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eliezer throughout the Masechet. Rabbi Yoshua is a pragmatist. And here's what Rabbi Yoshua says. Yaniach lefanav achat mehen al hasala. Al hasala. It's pausal. Rabbi Yoshua says, you know, Okay, you don't have to hand one to him directly. And by the way, that means you don't hand it into his hand and thereby defile it with your action. Right? Rabbi Hoshu is going to be a pragmatic. And he says, put it in front of him on a rock. As if to say you leave one out for him and you just walk away. And then he will, well, he will do with it whatever he does. But at least you've saved the rest of the loaves. That's the approach of Rabbi Yoshua versus Rabbi Eliezer. We have a choice about what we can do, and we're pragmatic. The halacha goes according to Rabbi Yoshua. But wait, because the Mishnah closes with a completely different case. And in this case, Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eliezer agree but they can reach a completely different conclusion. And in the, it, it, it works in the same way, similarly. If Gentiles say to women, Give us one of you that we may defile her. It's an, it's a, it's an awful choice. It's an awful choice. You wonder why it's brought in the Mishnah. 
But clearly the Mishnah, clearly the authors of the Mishnah have seen this situation. That clearly they're writing about a situation that could occur or that they've seen occur or they've heard about occur. Yitamu et kulan ve'al yimsaru lahem nefesh achatz mi'israel. They should, they should defile them all, but you sh- we shouldn't hand over to them one, um, one life of Israel. Nefesh achat mi'israel, one life of Israel. In other words, we we don't let anybody go. We we don't spit like the the IDF will never let leave anybody behind. We just can't. We we cannot hand over a single person. And the Rambam says on this Mishnah, Hakol Modim. Everybody Hakol Modim. Everybody agrees with this. Rabbi Hoshua Eino Cholek. Rabbi Hoshua is no longer disputing with Rabbi Eliezer. And thus it is. On every similar issue. In other words, that in this kind of in this kind of situation, we um, we don't pl- we can't play the numbers game. We can't play a numbers game with human life. Of course, as far as the Mishnah is concerned, rape and murder are absolutely equivalent. By the way, very interesting. By the way, how that you know this philosophy. I mean, feminists now talk about rape as a crime of violence rather than a crime of passion. But in the time of the Mishnah, rape is it, it is clearly a crime of violence, and it's it is it is up there. It's there. With, it's absolutely parallel to murder. So the and the Mishnah is saying, look, in that situation, you cannot play a numbers game. You can't trade off one person against six people on the grounds that. Um, uh, you, 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 you know, in the same way that the Mishnah in Sanhedrin says that the value of human life is infinite, you can't trade off one life against another. And that is the close of chapter 8 of the Mishnah of Terumot. So somehow we've morphed from what might have seemed a technical discussion about, um, well, about existential uncertainty as to the status of a pile of food in the storehouse into existential uncertainty about how we should behave in a critical situation. It's very interesting that the Mishnah, you know, we've always said that the last Mishnah in the Perak is very significant. And here the Mishnah is really bringing us back to earth with real life choices. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.